are listening to First Church Charlotte. Honored to have a great worship and praise team here at First Church, uh, but as they would be the first to remind you, uh, they can't praise God for you. Uh, they can encourage you to praise God, and they can encourage you to lift up your voice, but you have to praise the name of the Lord. Can the church say amen? Amen, amen. So I am uh, excited to bring the word of the Lord to you today. I have a take on a scripture that I have uh, really not ever preached in this manner before, and that's hard for a preacher because there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, And whenever you try to have a take that people will remember, um, uh, something that's a different angle, uh, sometimes it can be a challenge. I'm going to read in Mark chapter number 12. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. Otherwise, you can direct your attention to our screens. Uh, But before we dive in just a minute more, I want all of you to know that we're so thankful to worship with you today. If you're visiting with us, we're honored to have you. We want you to enjoy the service. We want you to join in with praise and worship. Uh, We want to exalt the name of the Lord together. So my title today is this, Spiritual Coin, Spiritual Coin. And if you thought, oh my word, what could he have to say about that? I want you to know I've done well, and I'm happy if you thought that. (laughs) So we're going to read in Mark chapter number 12, and we're going to read verse number 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Now, just real quick, the Herodians were a political party who supported the rule of King Herod. Uh, So it is a political party. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Hmm, nobody wants to preach about taxes. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin. Show me the coin. Somebody say, Show me the money. That's why I praise God. Got some victory around here finally. Jesus said, show me the money. No, he said, show me the coin used for paying the tax. You couldn't pay your taxes with just anything. You had to use Roman coin. They brought him a Daenerys and he asked them, whose image is on it and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And Jesus said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. So um, I am going to use money, hopefully in the same manner that you'll see it used in the scripture as a teaching aid to teach you something about 
that which is more important than money, and that is value. <laughs> Sometimes money has value, but value is always more important than money. And Jesus uses money a lot in his teaching. In 39 parables, uh, 13 of them uh, directly use money as a teaching aid. I have at times in my past been guilty of saying Jesus talks about more about money than any other subject, which um, I've, I've said that. I've heard other preachers say that. that is, that's, that's kind of true in, in a sense, but really... Jesus' teaching about money is not about money. Money is a teaching aid. Uh, something Jesus actually used more uh, than money is food. He uses an example of food in 18 of his 39. If, uh, this isn't in your notes if I remember this correctly. Um, I believe it's 18 parables he uses food in, but they're not about food, do you see? In the same manner, Money in the parables of Jesus are not primarily about uh, money. They, they're about that which is valuable. And money is a teaching prop to teach us spiritual value. So uh, I, as a believer, I want to perceive the kingdom of God and I want to value it as the most important thing in my life. Can I have a big uh, sound of agreement here in the house? Uh, the reason why we are in church here today, hopefully, the, the, the right reason, is because we seek to know God and uh, to perceive his kingdom and to be changed into his image that we might be more than partakers of the kingdom. We would be that which that who demonstrate the kingdom. We would be the ambassadors. God's anointing, God's power would shine not just to us, but shine through us. This is the role of the church in this day uh, and in this time. And God has chosen the church as his demonstrated body in the earth, the literal uh, expression of deity in the here and now should be the church representing his words, representing his heart, building their life upon his values. Now, perceiving the kingdom of God is a continual challenge. Uh, in the Old Testament, you'll find this uh, regular desire to perceive the glory of the Lord. I think probably the best passage, and I'm wandering a little bit off the notes here, but you're big boys and girls, you'll follow along. Uh, remember Moses, and he has this intense prayer request, and he says, show me your glory, show me your glory. And what the Lord says is, look, you really can't, you, you can't face the truth. <laughs> you really don't want to see my glory. How about I let my goodness pass before you. You see, what we really want is God's goodness to pass before us because we cannot stand in his presence as, uh, not, not even as an equal, but more than that, down further the ladder, we can't even stand as an observer in his glory. And so what we see is his goodness. I, I want to show you this is testimony even today. What God reveals in your life is his goodness. And so we say, God, show us glory, and God says, how about some goodness? Has God been good to anybody in this church house here today? We say, show us your glory. He says, here, see some goodness. And the role of the church in the earth is to manifest the goodness of God. That's why you ought to have a testimony ready on your lips. Why? I am here to manifest the goodness of the Lord. I am giving goodness to the world's desire for God. Amen. And so uh, let me move along, try to get back on my notes in a mostly positive manner here. We as believers, we seek to perceive the kingdom of God and value it 
it the right way. There's a temptation within us to do church as a style of living, but not as a way of, 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 of uh, how shall I say, uh, we do it as a style of living. We know how to clap. We know how to sing. We dress up on Sundays. We do it as a, as a, a style, but when trouble comes, we miss the opportunity to live a life of testimony because we worry in the same manner everyone would worry. When death comes, we, we have a churchy style and we know how to clap and we know how to sing, but we mourn like an unbeliever would mourn. These things ought not to be. Uh, we have more than just a style of churchy living. We have an opportunity to demonstrate in our daily choices that we are not of this world. We are of another kingdom. This world is not our home. Y'all going to let me preach a little bit here today. Um, This world is not my home. I am just kind of sojourning through it. I have things of this world, but my trust is not in this world. I have a little bit of money here and there, but my trust cannot be in that money. I am built, founded upon a higher kingdom, and that is the kingdom of God. Paul will talk a lot about this, Colossians chapter 3. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, how did you do it? In Christ. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear. Appear with him in glory. But that will not be earthly glory. It will be divine glory, do you see? All right, so we want to live life by higher principles and founded with higher valuations than simply the temporary things of this world. Uh, In this world, the thing that most represents value is money. It is the thing that we use as expression of value. Uh, American Psychological Association reports that the number one stressor in people's life is money money. Um, The question is not, do you stress over money? The question is, how many days a week do you stress over over, um, money? And that all depends on how much my wife has been on Amazon. Depends directly upon how much we stress over money. Look, money is real. You need money. I need money. The church needs money. None of the stuff we have is free. Supporting the technology habit of our praise and production takes money. Um, we need it and we enjoy it because we get to reflect what we like with that money. Uh, I love I love little kid stories in uh, little Abigail, um, Carlos and Stacy's little daughter. Um, her and Ellery are really good friends, and so she came up to my wife uh, here recently, and uh, she can't she when she talks she can't say her R's. And I when I was her age I couldn't say my R's neither. So I'm not making fun of her when I imitate her. Okay, she came up to my wife and she said, "Sister Chala, did you know I had a bull?" day and uh, Charla said actually baby I didn't I, d- I didn't know I didn't think about it she said well sister Charla I had a birthday did you get me a present <laughs> and uh, Charla said uh, baby I-, I didn't know you had a birthday and I didn't get you a present I'm so sorry she said well sister Charla I had a birthday and you should think about that <laughs> I love that story. So next time I have a birthday I'll be like you should think about that <laughs> um, we think of 
money in terms of earthly value. But I want to ask you a question. And before I do this, I should make a quick public service announcement. This is what I call nerd confession. Um, the whole of my life, I have been fascinated with markets. Uh, really, from my late teens uh, onward, I've been fascinated with markets. And in the same manner that many people are fascinated with sports, this is, again, I warned you, it's a nerd alert. Um, I've been fascinated with markets. And in the same manner, some people follow the NFL. I followed derivative markets, and I followed equity markets, and I followed credit markets. And uh, I've enjoyed trying to understand the underpinnings of uh, markets. And uh, that's the nerd alert, because some of what I say coming up here, well, if you know that about me, it'll help you a little bit. Uh, over uh, almost 30, well, 25 years of reading, uh, studying, learning, trading, um, I have in, as a personal hobby, I've learned a little bit about markets and the like. And um, when I talk to people, the thing I find most commonly, and this is probably the, um, the most common thing I, I see, people do not understand central banking. Uh, we have a, 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 an economy here, and we spend dollars, and we think in error that the bank is like your kitchen table, and the bank sits down as a user of currency, and it figures out its bills, and if it has enough money, um, then it can pay its bills, and you think, oh my Lord, the Chinese are going to take over because you don't understand, and I, for most of my life, didn't understand uh, central banking, and I still won't say I understand it, but I understand a little bit of it. So let me, let me try to explain the difference in a user of currency and an issuer of currency. We look at the Federal Reserve, and we say, now you wonder why I'm doing this. Stay with me. We're going to a, a spiritual principle here that I think is helpful. Um, we look at the Federal Reserve as though they were us, and they are a user of currency, and therefore they can run out of currency. And I want to assure everyone, it doesn't matter how much the Japanese Central Bank owns of our debt, doesn't matter how much the Chinese Natural Bank owns of our debt, um, we can never run out of currency. We cannot. Why? Because our central bank is not a user of currency. It is an issuer of currency. Let me explain a little bit more. Some of you nerds are really happy right now. You're like, tell me more, tell me more. The rest of you are like, oh Lord, shoot me now, shoot me now. Okay, so uh, let me try to explain something. Um, is there value in money? I have a nice little prop here for your entertainment that I've enjoyed using. What I have here is, um, this is, um, I asked Dewan if he had any money that I could borrow for this message, and um, he just gave me out of his pocket a stack of $100 bills, and um, so now that I have Dewan's money, I'm about to make it rain up in here. <laughs> no, this is prop money, and um, over here I have a stack of, of gold, silver, and related type coins, and uh, this is from Brother Ed's uh, house, but no, no, this is just prop money too, don't get too excited. Um, I would ask you holding this currency, and does, 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 does money have any value? Now, there's two responses you'll have. The first one would be, uh, well, no, um, it doesn't. It's just paper, or it's a piece of linen with cotton uh, and paper composite, 
and it has a image stamped upon it, it doesn't have any value. But that's not true. That would have been your first answer. Um, I could take you out to dinner with this piece of paper with image stamped on it, or better yet, you could take me out to dinner with your piece of paper. So yes, it's just paper, but it's not fair to say it doesn't have value. You buy your food with it. You buy uh, house your house with it. You pay for your gas with it. But I kind of understand what you're saying. It just has a, really a piece of uh, material, a piece of paper with an image printed upon it. And then you say, some of you hard money types, um, uh, oh, I'm back to being a nerd. Never mind. You're like, well, if it was gold, then it would have value. Ooh, I love me some gold. If I, uh, if I had, yeah, I'm like, my precious, my precious. Uh, <laughs> if it was gold, then it would have money. But um, I, I would, I would uh, give you this simple historical fact. There is no empire, no kingdom, no government that has ever been recorded in history that did not debase its gold. In other words, uh, camouflage it as something else and it's more copper or more nickel than gold. All of them debase their gold. All of them debase their silver. So why would you say it has value when it's debased? It is pretend gold. Every empire, not a single one kept pure money. Not one. So you say this money has no value. It's just paper with an image on it. And you say this, this has value because it's gold. And I say, well, every empire in history debased it. And so it wasn't really gold. They just stamped their image on it. What then are we holding? What we are holding is pretend units of value. All right, stay with me. We're going somewhere together. Uh, this is agreed, not has no value, and yet it does. We say this has no value, and yet it does. So holding that in your, in your mind, let me give you another thought experiment. If you were lost in a wilderness, would either this money or this gold be of any use to you? No, what you need is a can of chicken noodle soup that you can heat up in Jesus' name. Can I get a witness? That's what you need. Neither this money or this money is any good to you. Someone says, oh, the apocalypse is coming. I'm buying gold. Well, you probably should buy canned soup. That would actually be something you could eat. If you have gold, they're just going to shoot you and take it from you. I mean, what are we talking about with money? Stay with me. There is a principle that's not just helpful to me that Jesus is trying to get into the hearts of all of us by using money as a teaching example. It isn't, hear me, remember, if you're in the wilderness, neither this nor this feeds you. If you're on a lost island, neither this nor this shelters you. It doesn't put food in your stomach. It doesn't put a house over your head. And it certainly does not provide you of any of the things you need or want. So, having performed these thought experiments for you, let me point out something that even now is obvious to you. The money you have, the gold you have, whatever it is, is a pretend value within the system. It's not, hear me, the money that has value, it's the system that has value. So, in the system, you can turn money into anything. 
In the system, you can turn gold into anything. Outside of the system, it has no value. If you destroy the system, the currency has no value. You see, stay with me here. We strive as believers to separate the spiritual from the carnal in our life. Now, what Jesus did was he used money not to teach us about money. He used money to teach us about the spiritual. 11 out of 39 parables, he uses money to teach about the kingdom of God. Now, since Jesus talked so much about money, maybe I should very quickly give you a brief overview of the things, some of the things that Jesus said about money uh, that might be interesting if you wanted to be like Jesus. If you wanted to take his values and apply them into your life, these are some practical things Jesus said about money. Number one, he said, as we read in our text, you should pay your taxes. Now, I I know nobody gets excited about that. Nobody's happy about it. But if you live in the system, you should support the system. Not my opinion. That is what Jesus said. Jesus says in Matthew 17, verse number 27, but so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to the tax collectors for my tax and yours. That's the first thing Jesus says about money. Uh, The second thing, well not the first, but in my order uh, here. The second thing he says about money is that you should support the institutions of worship with your money, the principle of first fruits. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I want you to know that three places in the mouth of two or three witnesses, as the Bible says, Jesus honors supporting the religious institution that that is the, uh, a focus of your worship, or the the avenue, I should say, of your worship to God, um, in Luke twenty, in Luke eight, in Matthew twenty three, in Mark chapter number twelve, in the Old Testament, it was the tabernacle and the temple. In the New Testament, it is the local church. That's the second thing in my list of of back of the envelope things Jesus said about money. Third, Jesus thought you ought to budget your money. He thought you should get organized with it. Uh, He said in uh, one place, suppose one of us, this is Luke 14, suppose one of us wanted to build something. Um, Wouldn't it make sense if we sat down and estimated the cost before we got started? Uh, You wouldn't want to lay the foundation and run out of money. Then Jesus says you would be a ridicule. People would say about you, this person began to build, but they weren't able to finish. Um, Jesus said that, and uh, I think it's good practice for all of us to live within our means and have a budget. Can I have a big amen? Amen. Nobody's excited about this message. I don't even care. I'm doing fine. Stay with me. Number three, Jesus says you ought to worry about the impact of greed in your heart and in your life. You ought to be careful with greed. Luke 12, uh, verse 15, he went on to say to them all, watch out and guard yourself against every kind of greed, every kind of greed, because your true life is not made up of the things you own no matter how rich 
you may be. He also would say uh, you should uh, be generous as much as you can in your life. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verse 42 of Matthew, he says, give to the person who asks and uh, to the person who want, needs to borrow, uh, be generous and, 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 and do so uh, to the best of your ability. Number five, he says, don't make a show of giving. Don't use giving to pr- try to pursue spiritual value among other people. God sees what you can do and God sees what you do. God sees what you can give and God sees what you give. There's no sense people thinking you're doing something if God doesn't agree with them. Don't make a show out of giving. There is temptation in vanity. Number six, Jesus says uh, that we should think not just about investments in the here and now, but we should think about eternal investments. And Matthew 6, also continuation of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, verses 19 to 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor feet nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says as to why you should do this, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Uh, there's more that can be said about this. Let me just give you one more uh, from the words of Jesus, literally from the red letters of the New Testament. Uh, he, he warns us that We should take care because money can strangle us spiritually. Let me say that again. Money can strangle us spiritually. This is so important. Jesus told a parable uh, that dealt specifically with this, and this is the parable of the soils. And he tells, and this is in uh, Matthew 13, he tells of how they sowed the seed of the good word. Uh, This is the good word representing the word of God, the eternal word. It should spring up and bring life change in your life. It should bring new values to the surface in your life. You should get for this seed a healthy crop of return. That's what should happen. But there's a tragedy because the seed does not always find soil. Good seed does not always find good soil. And some of the seeds, he says in the story, fell among thorns and uh, the thorns choked them. What are you talking about, Jesus? Well, keep reading. Jesus will explain exactly what he says, what he means. Verse 22, hear then the parable of the sower. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the Deceitfulness of riches choke the word and and it proves unfruitful. You should worry about greed because it can strangle you spiritually. We can say, I can say that I value another kingdom more than this kingdom, but I can live as though I value this kingdom, and it will not matter how loud I shout or how quickly I speak or how enthusiastic I seem if my money does not reveal which system, stay with me, I'm a part of, then I will have deceived myself. I am not saying that you are evil when you are blessed. That would be contrary to the word of the Lord. I am not saying that possession of wealth in itself is 
is evil. That would be contrary to the word of the Lord. Indeed, the richest being in the world is God. In fact, the prophet will say he has all the cattle on all the hills and all the sheep and all the folds. He says the gold is mine and the silver is mine and that includes the platinum, the uranium, and all the other commodity complex too. It all is his. Yes? Does that mean he's evil? No. Blessing in itself is not sign of evil. Indeed, I would pray that you would be blessed because on one hand, it shows your value in the here and now, and on the other hand, it shows God's trust of your heart. However, when those things, the things of the world, begin to strangle you spiritually, that which was meant to be a blessing turns into a trial of your faith. So let me say it this way. Let me be biblical. Let me use money as Jesus used money. We are using it simply as a signifier of values. Having it does not mean you're good and bad in itself. Loving it more than the things of higher value, that is where evil lies. Money in itself is not uh, uh, evidence, but what is it is is a paper trail of evidence. It is not evidence. It is a trail. It reveals something over time and over, over the years. So why am I preaching in this manner? When Jesus held up the coin and he says, whose image is on this coin? And they said, that is uh, Caesar. And he says, then pay unto Caesar what is Caesar's. He is going beyond money. Remember, money is not what has value. It's the system that has value. The system can have so much value, property rights, security, uh, citizenship rights, place, credit. The system can have so much money that you need a way to quantify your involvement your peace in the system. Now, money matters. You need a way to quantify value. The value's not in the money. We could use paper. We could use shells, as some South Pacific tribes did. We could use gold that has an inherent anti-inflation uh, trait because it's hard to mine out of the earth. We could use cryptocurrency. If, 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 if you don't believe that quantum computers are around the corner, you should believe in crypto currency. If you believe quantum computers are around the corner, you should not believe in cryptocurrency. Moving along. Whatever it is does not matter. It's the system that holds the value. And so when Jesus holds up the coin and says whose image is on this, he's not talking about how many cups of Starbucks coffee you can buy with your denarii. Uh, I probably imagine if you had a real denarii, you could 
buy Starbucks for a very long time. That's not he's referring to. He's referring to a system, a way of living. He says, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but he does not stop. It's not just about taxes. The Pharisees wanted to be about taxes. Why? Because if Jesus comes down on the side of taxes, the people will hate him because they hate Rome. If Jesus comes down on the side of people and says, don't pay your taxes, then the Roman authorities can arrest him for treason and for menning insurrection. It's a trap. But Jesus sees beyond the surface of things. He does. He sees beyond the tricks that we play. We're calculating how many cups of Starbucks coffee you can buy. And Jesus is saying, forget the coffee. Tell me about your heart. Tell me about which system you're building your life upon. Because if we're going to calculate value, sure, render unto Caesar what is Caesar, but render unto God what is God. Church, I want you to hear what I'm about to say right now. We are not a part of this world. We live in this world, yes. You use money, you have a job, but you are a pilgrim and a stranger in the here and now. This world is not your home. Is someone going to preach? with me here today. I'm going to say it to this side. This world is not your home. And so when Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's, you want to know why I'm a person who I try every day in my life to praise God for his goodness in my life, to say thank you for what you've done for me, to say thank you for my family, to say thank you for my children, to say thank you for your health. You want to know why? Because the government can't do that for me. The bank can't do that for me. The money in my wallet can't do that for me. When you come into the house of the Lord on the first day of the week and you lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting, you know what you're doing? You're giving unto God what is God. Nobody can do for you what God can do for you. You ought to be a praiser. You ought to be a prayer warrior. You ought to be quick to say God can heal your sick body. You ought to be quick to say he's a way maker. You ought to be quick to say he is able to do anything Anything but fail. It's not about the money. We could use anything. It's about the system. If we err in our understanding of the difference between the kingdom of God and the things of this world, we will express a lie. We, like Satan, will live a lie because we try to do in the flesh what can only be done in the spirit. And if uh, in uh, the scripture, there's so much where this is refer- referenced to. Um, every time you read in the New Testament warnings against idolatry, they're not referring so much to a carved piece of stone. They're referring to this essential error where we try to value that kingdom in terms of this kingdom. And so we see in the scripture again and again these types of warnings, a kind of a, a, a train, a subtle train of thought that is threaded through everything where we're tempted to want what this life gives. And the scripture whispers back to us, no, no, there is a, a be- something better to come. This life is just a mission. The less 
next life is the reward. This life is just a journey. The next life is the destination. I want to show you one place of the scripture where we are warned in that way. And each of these warnings, I'm going to just refer to three of them. Uh, but each of them is, uh, we're going to look beyond the surface uh, instruction and we're going to see the spiritual value that lies beneath it. Uh, James chapter number five. And I will read, uh, this is um, the first few verses of James chapter number five. And we will, um, we will look at this uh, together. Um, the, the mistake is, uh, the mistake for us is again to err on the side of trying to perceive the eternal through the values of, of the flesh. Uh, James is not writing to uh, Gentile Christians here. Why is that important? Because we have this image of the New Testament church as uh, so often it's demonstrated in the writings of the Apostle Paul or um, even uh, even uh, other other books that we have that are directed more toward Gentiles, um, whereas there's a few few books, uh, the writings of James and uh, predominantly the uh, one of the Gospels and then the uh, book of Hebrews is focused upon uh, the people of God and it is directly to them. And if you were to take the time uh, to actually try to understand the illustrations used, you will f- see that they are Jewish. They, they strike to the Jewish heart. If you were to look at the styles of rhetoric that is used, um, it strikes right to the heart. Um, I believe, as a personal example, and I, this is just a personal belief, I believe uh, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, but if you read it, it reads so different than any other epistle. And the reason why I believe he wrote it in the manner of a, uh, that he did is I, I think he intentionally hid his identity in the book because he knew the Jews hated him so much they would not receive anything from him. So he wrote it in a manner where they would not be able to give themselves an excuse not to read it just because they hated Paul. Um, and that's a personal belief. It's not, a, it's, it's not something that I, I would, I, I'm doctrinal about. Um, but uh, these books are written to the Hebrew. Now, in the Gentile church, there was specific problems, a tremendous ranges of, of, of wealth. Uh, you would have problems like uh, slave owners and slaves both being converts. It's actually more complicated than that. You would have slaves who converted their owners. And uh, then you have this pastoral problem of how you deal with that. And so you'll find a lot of writing uh, in the Apostle Paul's uh, works where he talks about this issue that we're, when we come to church, there's nobody higher than anybody else. There's nobody, how complicated and difficult that must have been, been for them. But in uh, the writings to the Hebrew church, it, it, there, there was no Jew that could own another Jew. They were much more close in um, uh, these statuses of their, 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 how shall we say, rights. Um, the Gentile church would have had farther reach of rights and the abuses of rights. The Hebrew church would have been closer. In the Hebrew church, there would have been great uh, in, as in most societies, differences between the one percent or the upper percent, two or three percent, and the rest, and this is what the uh, the, uh, the James will refer to uh, here in this passage. Uh, he he says this in chapter number five, writing to Jewish believers. He says, "Come now, you rich." 
Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Um, uh, Watch this. Next verse. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. How do we put that in modern terms? I think a word that would fit very well here is to have the the heart of a hoarder, somebody who hoards and hoards because they want to feel safe. They hoard, they hoard, they want to feel safe. A hoarder does not do it because it's logical. They do it because it is fixing something that is broken within them. Did you guys hear what I just said? People who are obsessed with this aren't doing it because it's logical. do it because it's it's helping something that is broken within them and when believers or shall I say so-called believers say they value that world but they live as though this world and its possessions can fix them they have created a spiritual oxymoron something that is impossible something that is opposite we cannot live as believers who say our kingdom is in with him and our hearts are in glory and then live as though our safety is in the things of this world. And so when uh, James says you have hoarded and you have, uh, you, have, you have heaped it to yourself treasure, this, I think, is really what New Testament idolatry is all about. In fact, um, the theologian, one of my favorite theologians, uh, he uh, died in World War II at the hands of the Nazis, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said this, uh, uh, Hoarding is idolatry because you are looking to a possession to reassure something within you. But what it is is not reassurance. Those things cannot save you. It is self-deception. And James says you should not make that error. You are building your life on the wrong system. The second thing that he says, and there's more scripture, and if you download the notes, you'll see other passages that I put in uh, here into the notes. Um, and the, the second place that, that is the next thing that James says that reveals errors of our understanding the kingdom of God versus the things of this world uh, is expressed in the very next verse. So the first one that we read revealing these principles was you have heaped up treasures, treasure in the last day. This is the problem of hoarding or trying to make yourself feel safe through what you have down here. The second one, verse four, indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which kept which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. What is going on here? Uh, why would James write to the New Testament converted Jews and talk about these subjects of hoarding, trying to fix your inner fear, your inner brokenness with possession, or holding back what is rightfully given or due to someone else? This is a different a different, a different problem here. This isn't hoarding. This holding back is different, and this is what it is. Notice how they worked the system to cheat somebody. That's what they did. They worked the system to be unethical. What are you doing when you choose an eth- unethical choice? What you're saying, hear me, is this world is worth risking that one over. 
So first you think I can fix my fear, my brokenness with having enough. There is not enough in this system. The second thing you do is you act unethically or, or we all of us have in our capacity within our flesh, I should say, so it doesn't sound so accusatory. I'll let the Lord do the convicting around here. <laughs> and so the second thing we do is uh, this idea that we, we want what this world has so much that we will, we will find every excuse we can uh, to get as much as we can. We will even cheat and we will lie and we we will defraud others so we can get as much as we can. The problem is not the money. The problem is the idolatry. And you're willing to risk that system. Remember, Jesus holds up a gold coin. And when he says, whose image is on this coin? He's not talking about money. He's talking about a system. The system is where the value is. There's transactions in the systems. There's citizens' rights. There's legals' rights, et cetera, et cetera. And to work in it, you need to quantitize it and have pieces of it. The value's not in the money. The value's in the system. And when he holds up and says, whose face is on this and they say Caesar that's the system give him what is in his system there's another system here you give to God what is God and so just just stay with me just five more minutes and so here you have this idea first that we can make ourselves safe enough with this world hoarding Second one, we're willing to risk that, that world over this one, and we deal unethically. I, one of the things that happens to me that makes me very uncomfortable, and I'm, just, I'm not going to spend much time on this, I, just, I, just, um, I have heard the most inventive stories in, uh, in my whole life as people explain to me why they did not pay tithes on something. It is stunning the in, inventiveness that people come up with, how they don't pay tithes on it. And they ask me, is that okay? And you know what I always say? Well, you should do what's in your heart. I, I, I sometimes will say, I, I wouldn't do that, but you should do what's in your heart. You see, it doesn't matter what I would do. What matters is the kingdom that you are going to live by. And that's what he's talking about here. And our church, thank God, is past the size where um, if you do or don't, it affects me. I, my, 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 my salary is pretty fixed. And um, uh, I mean, it may would, if I had to come off for a couple months or something, that'd be different. But uh, that's, we're kind of beyond that. But the, 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 the issue is how we try to, and you feel like, I had one person come to church one time and tell me how they had got a settlement and that they had called bishop and they had explained their finances to bishop and he agreed that they should not pay tithes and you know what I said to them I said you should do what's in your heart and I called my wife and I said in the history of the world my dad has never told anyone they should not pay their tithes on something God gave them as increase why would you want a muzzle blessing in your life it's really a statement of confidence not in you it's a statement of confidence in God but it's but you know what I want to be I want to take it the next step the same temptation is in me the same temptation for me is to work the system and just as some of you, it's the same, it's the same thing as in me to work the system and try to figure out a way and uh, try to, you understand what I'm saying? It's not about me be good, you be bad, or you be good, me be bad. This is the temptation of the flesh. Yeah. 
to think we can make ourselves whole in this system while say we were valuing that system. It is self-deception. James says the defrauded wages you failed to pay are crying out to the Lord of the Sabbath. Strong words. And finally, and musicians, you can come. I'm going to wrap up uh, uh, or try to wrap up on this. The third thing he says is, uh, is the next verse. Verse five, you have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Uh, what's the number one killer in the world? Heart disease. What is heart disease? That's when your heart gets fat. <laughs> you, have, you have spent your uh, life uh, pursuing pleasure and luxury. What, what's beneath the surface of this? Now, remember the first one, I called it hogging, okay, what's, what, what is that? That is the belief that, or hoarding, I should say, this last one is hogging, okay? The first one is hoarding, that I can somehow make myself whole if I have enough of this world. The second spiritual error is to think, is to think that I, it, it's a good bet for me to risk that world by getting, so I can have more of this world. That's the, the trap of, 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 of unethical behavior and, and the like, withholding, holding back. And this third one is hogging luxury. What's the problem with that? Uh, it's not luxury itself. Compared to our parents and grandparents, most of us live very luxurious lives. It's not the luxury itself that is at issue. If you have hot water, a coffee machine, and air conditioner, you are richer than the pharaohs of the past because they would have loved them. So hot water, (laughs) Uh, instant tap hot water, air conditioning, and more than that, in the 19th century, the richest man in the world was Lord Rothschild. He was by far, uh, just in terms of statistics, he was so rich, and he died from an infected boil on his back. The shot of antibiotics you would get without even thinking or the Z-pack you would feel without even thinking, he died from it. So if you want to just think in terms of luxury, our lives, even though we feel quite ordinary, is more luxurious than generations that have gone before us, okay? It's not the luxury. It's a deeper problem than that. Let's think spiritually. Here's the problem. Living as though this life is our reward. And it's not. This life is our mission. The next life is our reward. Let me tell you how revival begins. And let me do, just indulge me for a moment. Revival begins when people change the system they are living by. And instead of living by the system of this world and valuing the things of this world, they lift their eyes heavenward and they say, God, show me your glory. You stand with Moses and you say, show me your glory. And the Lord, this is the prayer request God loves to answer more than any other one. Because this is what the story of the incarnation is all about. As they would say, we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. And when we spend eternity with God, we will see him. We will stand face to face. See him as he is. That prayer request 
show me your glory, is the prayer request I believe that God loves most to answer. Revival begins. When we place the things of this world in its place, we understand you gotta have money to pay the rent. You've gotta have this, you gotta have that, but it's not about this and it's not about that. And you get a sense of spiritual order in your life and you hold something up before you and you say whose image is on this and you say oh that's something of this world if we need it we'll use it but it doesn't matter that much but is it something of God because if it is something of God I'm going to render unto God what is God and the individual Oh, praise God, that begins to see everything with different perspective. And no longer is it just about, do I have more? Do I have enough? No longer is it just about what, how much of a raise. Now you start to see that's good and that's fine, but my hope is in the Lord. And I'm a praiser because I'm going to render unto God what this world could never give me. And I pray because I want to render unto God what this world could never give me. And I show up at the house of God and lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting. Why? Because I'm going to render unto God what this world could never pay, give, or share to me. I'm going to love people I don't like. Why? Because that's what God would do. I'm going to pray for people that speak ill of me. Why? Because that's what you do in the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to speak faith over a generation that doesn't seem to believe in God. Why? Because that's what God would do. He would say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You know what enables that? When you see the system you are a part of. And having seen, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Having seen you transition from just perceiving to now you begin to demonstrate that kingdom of heaven. What do we need to do that? We need spiritual transformation. Jesus told Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot perceive the kingdom of God. I need spiritual transformation. You need spiritual transformation. That enables us to live as though there were an eternal world beyond the reach of this temporal world. Would you stand with me all across the house? I, I, I feel the presence of the Lord right now and I, I'm, I'm challenging someone to turn your heart, turn your heart heavenward right now and say, oh God, let my eyes be open. Lord, I pray as a church that we would perceive your kingdom and that we would perceive your work in the earth. Lord, I pray for every member of our church. I pray for every one of our pastoral staff. I pray for all of our various ministries that are filled with people so zealous and so faithful to give of their time. Uh, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give us the understanding to see beyond the lies of the temporal, to see beyond the limits of the carnal, and to perceive the kingdom of God that is progressing in the land. Lord, let our prayers make a difference in the kingdom. Let our intercession make a difference in the kingdom. Lord Jesus, let us hold this world lightly in our hands, uh, and let us 
value the promises of God deeply and profoundly. Let us never be tempted to risk your world for this world. Let us not believe we can make ourselves feel whole by getting enough of this world. And Lord Jesus, help us not fall into the habit of thinking that this world is where our reward is. Oh God, let revival work in every heart, I pray. Let the work of redemption be expressed in our families. Let grace be demonstrated in our words. Lord Jesus, let the miraculous testify of what heaven can do. Lord Jesus, let an a, 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 a ladder connect heaven and earth and the ministering spirits of heaven to work among us in Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. All across the house, we need to stand here in the presence of the Lord. Would you lift your hands, lift your hearts. Speak to the Lord as you would a friend. Speak to him as you would if he were right near you. Make your confession unto the Lord. If you're watching this online, we're glad you're joining us. Your living room can be a place uh, where the presence of God is demonstrated. Your kitchen table, you might be sitting there watching this on a laptop. I'm telling you, your kitchen table can be a place where the, the glory of God can be demonstrated. Because we are not of this world. You are not of this world. You are been bought with a price. You have been redeemed. You are now a a citizen of another kingdom. You are a citizen of heaven now. Oh Lord Jesus, let us as your people demonstrate your great work, Lord. Let us demonstrate your great work. In Jesus' name we pray. Let this song be a prayer right now. I surrender all to you. How How do we get it right then? How do we get it right? How do we get the balance right? Well, Jesus told us exactly how. And he said this, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he will add all this other stuff. He'll give you the desires of your heart. How do we get it right? You have a type of dual citizenship. Yes, you're a part of this system down here. Therefore, you have to pay the rent, etc. <laughs> but you're also a member of another system. Do you see? Seek first that which is of God and render to God what is God's. And he'll take care of the denarii. Everybody needs some denarii. <laughs> He'll take care of the denarii. He'll take care of the systems of this world. But never live for a day as though this is going to last forever because it's not. It's going to pass away. But that which is done for God represents an eternal investment. And in some manner that I don't understand and I can't exactly explain, He will repay for every farthing. He will repay for every cup of cold water. He will repay for every tear that you cried in intercessory prayer for a city, a community, a family member, a friend. He will repay. Churches impact the world when they get this right. The spiritual 
and the practical. They get it right. And out of that grows spiritual breakthrough. I'd like to, before we move on to dismissal or anything like that, I would like you to think of a prayer request you have in your life. Right now in the church, we have needs. We have some people who are have lost jobs and they need the Lord to open a door for them. That's in the practical. That's in the here and now. We have people who don't literally have lost places to stay and they are trying to get back into a place to stay. We've had uh, two families that have lost loved ones uh, this in the past past week, and they're uh, either at funeral events or they're traveling to them. Those are needs that I know of in the church. I would like you to think of the prayer request that you have, the name you have. And right now, I would like you to represent that name as an intercessor before God and call out for God to work on that need. Would you join me in doing that right now? Lord Jesus, we're praying for the needs that are expressed here uh, among your children. Lord, you know those uh, who have specific circumstances that they are daily presenting in faith before you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would show forth your power as we seek you first. Uh, we, we, we seek you first and we entrust you to work out all of these other issues of life. Lord Jesus, those who have lost family members, I'm praying for comfort to them. I'm praying for care to their families. Uh, those who are uh, laid off out of uh, career and out of job, I'm praying that you would work that out and give them a better than they ever had. Let them learn the lesson of trust through this and then give them the desires of their heart, I pray. Bless them according to your great will and power. Every sick person whose name is being called in the pews right now, I'm praying for healing for them, I pray. I'm praying for deliverance for them in Jesus' name. According to your power, according to your spirit, we trust you, we bless you, and we call upon on you today in Jesus name in Jesus name would you put your hand thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte if this podcast has blessed you please rate it with four or five stars by doing so you will help others find our free podcast and bless them if you're in the Charlotte North Carolina area come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road for information about service times church ministries and so much more visit us online at firstchurchc.com lt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.